When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. <laughs> we, we have a special treat for you. Yeah, we don't need to say the like the normal like regular stuff because this is special. Yeah, this is welcome to Pines and Parables with Pete Rollins. Yeah, yeah. For those of you who are fans of Pete Rollins and have followed his work, um, he does these special little Pines and Parables events, uh, and we were so lucky that he actually did one in our area. So we drove up to Grand Rapids a couple months ago, and we've been sitting on this for so long, and and have been like, you know, chomping at the bit to, to put it out. We've been chomping at the bit, and I think this is the perfect, perfect time, because after this, this was only the second time he'd ever done this, Yeah, and it went really, really well, but he's still kind of fine-tuning it, and he's done lots more, and there's lots more on the books, so if you like what you hear, which you will, you're going to really, really like this. This is something completely different, completely new. Instead of a lot of information, what we have is sort of a, a deconstructive medium that almost works like a Rorschach test. Rorschach test? Rorschach test? How do you say that? Rorschach? Ro- Rorschach test? Yeah. Okay, there <laughs> I you go. I think so. I always thought there was a, like a cat, like shack, <laughs> like Rorschach. We could, we could both be wrong. I have no idea. I don't, I don't really even care. <laughs> but anyway, these, these parables, unlike a lot of the content that John and I bring you and curate and then even talk about ourselves, there, there's lots of just material information, data to be looked at and dissected and you know wrestled about and argued over. You can't really wrestle with or argue. You can wrestle with, but you can't really argue with a story. A story is something that does something to us in uh, an indirect way. So that's, that's really what, what's going on here. And uh, the kind of format uh, that you're going to be hearing is, is a live recording of Pints and Parables. But then at Pete's recommendation, when we asked him uh, how he wanted us to present this to you guys, he said, well, you know, this is the first time I've done this, so instead of just putting it all out there, why don't you kind of guide people into what this is supposed to be about by just taking a few of the parables out. He didn't want to release the whole thing yet because there's going to be an opportunity for us to do that down the road. And this is something we're partnering with him on. And so what, what John and I are going to do is we are going to almost take this experience with you. We're going to listen and we're going to flip our mics on. And uh, just like Pete recommended, we're just going to kind of provide some thoughts not explanation right right yeah i mean yeah so so tell tell listeners a little bit about uh because pete has a very specific structure that he talks about uh here in a little bit but um right so so tell him about he, he kind of divides it into three sections right yeah there's like um there's like a journey going on that's beneath the surface um and really it, it's good to kind of know it from, from the get-go, and I'm glad he kind of let us know what was going on, but at the same time, it'd be just as good if you didn't know. But essentially, yeah. there, there's an arc, 
And we're going to take parables, a couple or, you know, one, two parables out of each section. And then you and I are just going to kind of chat about it. But the sections go, he's going to move us from parables that deal with this idea of certainty to parables that deal with the idea of unknowing or uncertainty. So moving from certainty into unknowing or mysticism and into um, materialism. And materialism is essentially the philosophical idea that this is all there is. You know, this, to be grounded fully in reality, the eminent. And so from certainty into mysticism and unknowing, into materialism, which is just here now, the, you know, this world, this moment, um, into the fact that the search for truth is actually a confirmation that we may already be in possession of the truth. So these are the kind of four movements, the four acts, the four stanzas, whatever you want to call it, that we're going to be kind of getting into a little bit here. I'm excited to do this, man. This is going to be fun. Yeah. And, and like Adam said, I think the important thing is for each of you to kind of absorb these parables and, and allow it to guide you wherever it's going to guide you. Um, yes. So what we're going to try to do is, like Adam said, is attempt to not kind of interpret these for you, but kind no. of give you an idea of what where it kind of resonated with us and yeah. what it made us think of. Um, and uh, if, if you guys really enjoy this, and I, I think you will, and we hope you do, um, there are going to be some opportunities, no matter what part of the world you live in, mm-hmm. coming up to see this live um, in its entirety. Uh, so depending on where you are, uh, if you're in the UK, this is coming out uh, this coming Tuesday the 9th, mm-hmm. uh, the day before my birthday. So feel free to send gifts if you'd like. <laughs> I will be, uh, I'll be 21. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but if you happen to be in the UK, uh, he will be in the UK, uh, Lincoln UK, uh, yeah. Timings two-day conference from August 11th through the 12th. Yeah. Uh, then he's in, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, Utrecht, Holland? He's uh, in Holland. How about that? Yeah, Holland. <laughs> <laughs> For the Building on Fire, uh, and that's August 20th. Uh, then he's going to be in Australia, down under, and I know we've got uh, a good handful of Aussie listeners down there. Uh, so you'll be excited to know he'll be at Rebel Hearts in Sydney on September 9th. And then he'll be uh, also at uh, Building on Fire in Sydney on September 10th. Uh, He's got tons of dates coming up. He is doing specifically... Now, these are all his talks. He'll specifically do a Pints and Parables in Sydney on September 11th. These kind of pop up, though. Like, if there's interest, he'll just kind of do one. So if if he's got a date and you guys want him to do a Pints and Parables, you know, express interest and, you know, maybe he'll put one together. Now, here's the important one. You ready for this, Adam? Yeah. October 22nd. What's going on October 22nd, John? He will be in Detroit, Michigan. That's close to us, John. Guess who else is going to be there? Who? Uh, might be us. We might actually be at that event. No way. With Pete. And so you'll have a chance to not only enjoy Pete's presentation, but you'll have a chance to uh, socialize with us a little bit and have some good conversations. Uh, so those of you who, who came up to the event uh, a couple months ago in Grand Rapids, who got a chance to meet us, it was a lot of fun. That was so much fun. Yeah, so many of you listeners are probably going to be reminiscing when you hear this because uh, that was a really, really fun night. Yeah. That so, was a lot of fun. So basically, uh, there's, there's more dates on there that uh, you can get via his website. Uh, it's peterrollins.net. Um, but otherwise, definitely make sure if you guys are in the uh, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio area, um, come come meet up with us and check it out um, in October. Yeah, one more thing. Um, this perfectly coincides with the recent release of, if you like these parables, Pete actually has a book. I think it's the second book he ever wrote. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of the early books called The Orthodox Heretic and, it's, and Other Impossible Tales. And it's essentially just a whole compendium of parables that um, 
express these ideas in a very indirect way, which is, which is why Pete does these parables, which is great. So uh, it's him narrating Orthodox Heretic. I know he's given away like 25 copies, so follow his Twitter feed, get online, enter into that contest, and uh, hopefully this is just an appetizer, just a taste for uh, so much more. And he's always writing new ones, and it is just so much fun. This is such a great way for our, for our culture that is just oversaturated in direct propositional communication to just be given something that's um, almost like spoken word, or it's almost like poetry, and um, it's a lot of fun. So um, what John and I do on this episode is what we're just modeling as a suggestion for you to do. Um, when you listen to these parables, you can listen to John and I, and that's great, but once you kind of get the idea, maybe you're with a, you know, a buddy and you're having a beer or having a cup of coffee or whatever, you know, f- you know flip it off, pause it, and kind of talk about what you're experiencing. Talk about just what it does to you in, in the depths of who you are, not just in your brain, but just, you know, what it's kind of making you think of. So that's what John and I are going to do. It's probably going to be messy, probably going to say some <laughs> awkward stuff, but it should be great. So thanks for joining us. Got anything else? No, I, I think that's a great suggestion. Just, uh, you know, make sure that this is one that you're, you're really going to want to be fully focused on. Yes. Um, and, and, and so, you know, set aside some time to just sit, sit down and just marinate in, in what Pete has to say. And, yep. and like Adam said, that's, this is a great time to sit down and, and have a conversation with someone else about it. So I hope you enjoy it. Yeah. All right. Without further ado, here is Pints and Parables with Pete Rollins. So hello and welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. <laughs> this is your host, Peter Rollins. <laughs> and this is Adam Narlock. And this is John Williamson. And we are live coming to you guys from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Well, actually, when you hear this, it won't be live anymore. But for us right now, it's very live. This is very live. We are all alive. Everyone (laughs) you're listening to is alive and well. We are drinking and being alive. Yeah. And these guys brought me a bottle of gin, uh, a beautiful bottle of gin. (laughs) So I will be drinking that tonight. Absolutely. Either in celebration of how tonight went or in commiseration (laughs) of how tonight went. We'll see what happens. So this is the, uh, the first podcasted version yes. of Pints and Parables. Is that wow. right? Yeah, yeah. It's only like the second time I've ever done Pints and Parables as well. Are you serious? Oh, what? Yeah, okay. yeah. We were going to ask. So, so how did this idea come about yeah. for Pints and Parables? Because this is a really cool idea. It's a great yes. idea. Yeah. Kind of two of my favorite things, Pints and Parables. <laughs> there you go. Um, and, I, well, I've, and I've been doing storytelling uh, really for the last 10 years as part of my... Uh, communication. Um, For me, actually, the kind of truth that uh, I'm interested in, the type of truth that we see in in Christianity uh, is best expressed, I think, in parabolic ways and storytelling. Interesting. Less like a scientific discourse. That's why I think, you know, Jesus spoke in parables, that parables get at truths um, that other types of discourse can't get to. So I thought, what would it be like if instead of you know, putting a couple of parables and stories into my talks. I did a, an evening of parables and talks and then wow. did a little, a little bit of uh, explanation in the middle. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's great. So when, when you started communicating in parables, what is it about the parable form that you think communicates truth well? Like, what is it about a parable? Well, I mean, they're deconstructive. They are disruptive. <laughs> they, parables don't really give you an answer. They disrupt all of the answers that you think you've got. When, right. when you look at a good parable, it doesn't confirm what you think. Often it throws you off course and onto a new course. Absolutely. Uh, and then often as well, it, it brings up buried 
uh, knowledge. It brings up things that you kind of know, but you have forgotten or that you don't want to admit to yourself. It's kind of like good comedy. Uh, yeah. So that's that's why I like it. It's, it's perfect for the Deconstructionist podcast to be doing this because it's, it's the parables are auto-deconstructive. Yeah. Caputo and Derrida. Yeah, they, yeah. they use parabolic language. Some of the great Kierkegaard did. I'm actually surprised how few religious thinkers use parables because in one sense, it's the kind of discourse that we should love most of all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's quite hard. There's people like Anthony DeMello uh, and Soren Kierkegaard yeah. who were very good with parables. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, you start to run dry very quickly. So that's why I wrote a book of parables a few years ago called The Orthodox Heretic. And yeah. it was an attempt to say, one, you know, these are not difficult to write. Right. I'm not a very good writer, but you don't, need, you don't need character development. You don't need complex narratives. You just need something punching, something that, 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 that moves people, something that like shocks you and brings you into a new insight. Sure, sure. So, yeah. A lot of times, like you said, it sounds like a joke. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, actually, tonight you'll you'll hear that like at least half of the parables I'm telling you have a humorous element to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. man. So, so we've heard there's a possibility that Seamus, uh, <laughs> a highly requested character, will make an appearance tonight. Seamus will likely make an appearance at some point. <laughs> I don't want to say for sure. But you is know. Seamus based on a real life person in your life? Is Seamus somebody you know? Seamus started because I just was telling a parable. And I thought, I'll give the character a name. Yeah. And so I used the name Seamus. And a couple of people laughed because I gave him this, this Irish guy called Seamus. Yeah. And so then I, I did it again at the end. And they laughed even more because I'd mentioned Seamus twice. Yeah. So then I thought, I wonder what would happen. Because in comedy, you have what's called the callback, where you call back to a previous joke you made. Yeah, yeah. So I, I thought, what if you could create a callback that would last for 15 or 20 years? And so now Seamus is this character I use. And so even when I mention Seamus in a talk, sure, at yeah. least a couple of people in the room laugh because they yes. go, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So it creates this kind of inside joke, which I really like. So That's Seamus awesome. is my inside joke. Someday I'll release a book of Seamus stories. Seamus and the Texan. You have yeah. to. Yeah, absolutely. You have to release a book about Seamus. I know, I would be. You have to get it illustrated. Almost make it like a children's book. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 I'm actually working on one of these at the moment. I'm work- I've got um, uh, a book of fairy tales that I wrote recently. No way. Oh, yeah. Wow. And a comic book artist contacted me and said, can I make it into a comic that's book? Incredible. Yes. That's so incredible. That's what I'm idea. talking about. So that's that what I'm working will be on. Perfect. Yeah, that's all what right. I'm so everybody on. that's here tonight, you can hear them all rustling around, pouring their pints getting their minds lubed up and ready. What can we expect? How best can we engage with the night tonight? Oh, uh, well, there'll be a few appearances from Seamus. Uh, we're <laughs> going to, I'm going to tell us, I'm going to take a journey tonight. I'm going to try. Yeah. And the journey is from certainty into mysticism and unknowing, into materialism, meaning into an embrace of the world and the earth and, and the embrace of life. Yeah. And then finally into this idea that perhaps the search for truth shows that you're already in possession of it. Oh, and that that's is great. That's the arc of tonight. Now, I don't know if it'll work. This is an experiment. It doesn't matter. But we'll see what happens. Because oh, we've got here. to keep experimenting. And we're going to drink yeah. and listen and engage and deconstruct and enjoy. And have, yeah, yeah. have This fun. is going to be so much fun. So, yeah. So, this is an experiment, and I'm glad you guys are with me for it. Oh, we're so happy yeah. to be here. Great. Anything cool. else? Without further ado, uh, everybody enjoy Pints and Parables with Peter Rollins. 
So I, I really appreciate you being here. This is Pints and Parables with Pete. So it's like a 3P kind of thing. If you're wondering what you're going to get tonight with Pints, Parables with Pete, I can't really help you because that's as descriptive as I can get. There are pints, there are going to be parables, and I am Pete. Right? What I want to do tonight and, um, is tell some of my favorite stories. And there's a little story that goes through this as well. I want to kind of take you on a journey, but some of you will know some of these stories because they're all classics that I've picked up years ago. Some of them will be new to you, um, but hopefully some of them will speak to you. There's a little parable about three individuals, this snake handling preacher, this local priest, and this mystic. And the story goes that they're all going to their respective places. And uh, the snake handling uh, pastor is driving down the road and he's got all these snakes in the car. You know, they're all there. And, and one of the snakes bites him and he then turns, swerves the car, hits this local uh, priest. And, hit, you know, he then swerves into the mystic who's cycling on a bike. So it ends up they all die and they all end up in heaven. So the three of them are sitting there. And as we all know from the Bible, you have to get an interview with Jesus before you get into heaven, right? So they're sitting, waiting for their interview with Jesus. And the first one in is the mystic. The mystic gets up. He goes to the door. St. Peter opens the door, walks in. The door's closed and the little signs turn round, you know, meeting in progress. He's in there for half an hour, and he comes out smiling. He goes, ah, yeah, of course I got it wrong. I knew I got it wrong, right? And walks into heaven. And then it's the, the parish priest. He gets up, he goes in. He's in there for a couple of hours, meeting in progress. And eventually the door swings open, and he comes out, and he's like, wow, I can't believe I got it wrong can't believe that the things that I thought weren't quite the way it was. Who would have thought? And he walks on. And then finally, it's the snake handler, and he gets up, he dusts down his Bible, he walks in, and he's in there for a couple of hours. The door's closed, the meeting sign's turned over, and eventually the door flings open, and Jesus runs out and says, how could I have been so wrong? Right? Um, and... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't even need to, need to explain that one. <laughs> yeah. but, but, but often then religion becomes so tight to us that, that nothing can persuade us of what we believe. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 re I remember that one. Uh, I mean, what a way to start off the, the pints and parables. But I know. For me, uh, that one really struck home to me, especially in regards to what we're doing and kind of where we started originally on our journey, just in being um, almost like egotistically yes. certain yeah, and, and almost being afraid mm. to ask questions yes. for fear that the whole thing could unravel. Um, and, and so that parable, I remember I was writing notes down, I wrote down, builder of the Titanic. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What I was thinking of is just this, this idea of uh, the idea of deconstruction being where you go into the inside and you check for you know, leaks oh, in the ship, you know? I get what you're saying. And so 
I, I thought back to the Titanic, you know, because I think of de- deconstruction slash what we would call reconstruction. Yeah, the whole thing. Uh, I think of it as you, you're going into a ship, and maybe after examining it, you know, before you, you go off to sea, you don't have any leaks at all. There's no leaks, there's no cracks, there's no repairs to be made, but every once in a while you're going to find an area that maybe it's rusting or something. So I look at that when I when I look at my own faith, I look at it as a way to check for any potential leaks. And if mm-hmm. there are, mm-hmm. shoring up those holes and those leaks. And so I think back to the builders of the Titanic. Here's this this ship uh, that had, had never been built before. It's got all these uh, all this like crazy technology for the time. You know these these doors that would come down in a lock. You know in case any any holes were created in the side of the ship to prevent the ship from flooding and eventually sinking. Right. And along with that came this arrogance that the ship would never sink. Right, the unsinkable ship. And and you know, what, oh man, that's good. They're like, oh, it's cool. We can we can press on, you know, and 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 because you know, even if we do hit something, it's mm. not a big deal. Like this thing is is unsinkable. Right. And uh, so that's the first thing that I thought of after listening to this parable. When I I just was immediately transported back to that little awakening that I had in that corporate boardroom. When I just realized all of a sudden during this uh, unconscious bias training that I was just in my spiritual life, just completely living out a confirmation bias over and over, like a bad feedback loop, just over and over and over again. And how arrogant and just how, um, yeah, I felt like I, like when I hear that parable, the first emotion that I experience is like a little bit of remorse and just... Uh, just guilt and just a little bit of like I felt convicted like oh man yeah like I'm always so sure about everything and even now like I feel like I have the tendency since we started doing this podcast to almost I have to check myself from looking down my nose at anybody that you know holds a belief that sounds in a way like in competition with you know the sort of ideology that I'm presenting right now you sure. know through this podcast there's just this always there's always this you're right now. Like now is when you're right. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, I used to be wrong about stuff, but now, now I've got now it. I've got it. <laughs> and I think just the openness that that particular parable reminds me to remember. Just just be open. Yeah. Just that snake handling preacher that went in and essentially just argued with Jesus in his office in heaven. Yeah. Is such a hilariously <laughs> ridiculous image. Yeah. It's a ridiculous image. But that was, like, that's still me. There's still, like, most of me is still, I wish I could say I was, like, the mystic. Yeah. I'm still mainly, like, <laughs> anyway. There, there's a quote I read recently uh, that basically said, you know, uh, a faith without trust, uh, you know, ultimately trust and, and critical thinking is just uh, a faith that can be completely unraveled by a better argument, and mm. there's always a better argument. So good. I love it. All right, let's listen to another There's a story about Jesus, um, I think it's in Matthew, where he takes up golf, and um, he's a big golfer, Jesus loves golf, I don't know if you've you've read this story, Um, but he's rubbish at it, right? He buys all the great gear, he's got the right clubs, the woods, the balls, the whatever, I don't do golf, I don't know what it's called, but he he buys all this stuff, and he's at the golf course, and he's he's teeing up, and uh, He's doing it all wrong. He gets out an iron when he should be using a wood. One of the disciples is saying, listen, you know, you've got to use this one. Jesus is like, back off. I'm Jesus, right? (laughs) Back off. I know what I'm doing. 
And then he swings. The swing is terrible. It's a really bad swing. And of course, he slices it. It goes right into the water, right? And he's like, oh, Jesus, right? Like, <clears throat> so he walks out. He walks on the water. He goes out and picks up the ball and then walks back, re-tees it, slices it again, goes straight back into the water, walks out on the water. So he's walking on the water. He's picking up the ball. And this guy's coming over. This guy's walking past. This Irish guy, right? This guy called Seamus, right? Seamus is, is looking at this. Seamus just has a minor part in the story. Um, he looks and he's, uh, he says to the disciples, who does that guy think he is? Jesus Christ. And the disciples say, no, no, no. He says, that is Jesus Christ. He thinks he's Rory McElroy. Right? <laughs> now, the, yeah, the interesting thing about that for me is, so religion becomes this idea of, you know, we want to have the certainty, we want to have the right answers, we want to, we want to know what it's all about, because we, we, can't, uh, we can't cope with the uncertainty, we can't cope with our brokenness. Even Jesus has an alter ego and uh, something, that, something that's secure and solid, you know, Rory McElroy, that we all have these ideal images. We want to be the person who has the right answer. We want to be the person who knows why we're here. Of course, that's so tempting. It's hard for us to admit to our unknowing, our brokenness. Uh, we want to push it out there as much as possible. As a society in general, I think, I think we're kind of almost taught to kind of force down our inner brokenness. Oh, yeah, for sure. Don't admit to it. Don't talk about it. Don't even think about it. And so when it's time to try to process it because it's, it's emanating out of us in, in the form of, as Ron says, symptoms mm -hmm. and coming up in the forms of addiction or you know, anger or mm. whatever the case may be, yeah. um, we're, just not, we're just not able to cope with it or process it. Yeah. And so like, it, it's almost like a fight, you know? <sighs> Instead of just being taught, like, just let it out. Be yeah. honest with it. Yes. And I always think of, there's this old, there's this old John Mayer concert uh, when he first came out, right? When he was still doing the kind of James Taylor yeah. music stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where he talks about, you know, when you first meet a girl, you're showing her all your best movies. And oh. And what he meant by that is, you're, you know, he goes, you're, you're showing her your, your Schindler's List and all of your Academy Awards. Yeah, like, like oh, I'm flicks. so deep. Yeah, and, and you're not showing, he goes, and then later, after you've been dating for a while, then you show her your weekend at Bernie's, too. Yeah, 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 or the burbs. Yeah. That, that's one of my guilty pleasures. And so, how many people do we know out there? I love the burbs, by the way. It's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> it's a great movie. <laughs> oh, man. It came with the frame. <laughs> oh. It came with the frame. <laughs> for those of you guys that don't know Would you that like movie. to take that out of your pocket? Would you like to not steal that from Walter's house? <laughs> it's Walter's piece. <laughs> For those of you guys that have never had the the privilege and the honor of watching The Burbs, it's one of Tom Hanks' greatest movies. But anyway, <laughs> oh man. Um, but the the idea is like you know how many people do we know that are truly broken and they're dealing with uh, all sorts of all all manner of things behind the scenes, uh, mm. a broken marriage, abuse, whatever the case may be. But if you're looking at their Facebook profile, right? You know, it's all their best vacation pictures. Oh yeah, and they're so happy, and carefully curated. Yeah, meanwhile, they they have a drinking problem or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's just a call to be a little more honest. I think for yeah. me, like, I was Admit like, you suck at things. Admit yeah. you don't know what you're doing. And, and like, even, even in, the, in regards to having doubts and questions about your own faith, yeah. how many times have you and I talked about the fact that 
there are at this point a good number of faithful listeners to the show Mm -hmm. and because we have taught people to be so afraid and it's not okay to ask (sighs) questions that there are people out there who are listening almost like you know I, i always think of it as like you're staying up too late against your parents wishes and you're under the blanket with a flashlight reading your comic book oh yeah that's completely what's happened uh, to a degree with our show even. Like people are afraid to admit they even listen to it. Right. And tell their friends when in reality, if people came out and said, Hey, I have questions. Yeah. Then I guarantee you the two people sitting on either side of you at church like, today are like, dude, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I know the liturgists have mentioned they go through that too, where it's just mm. like a lot of you know, and it's okay. I get it. Like you can't do anything until you're ready. You gotta be ready right. to like, you know, come out with the fact that you, you know, you're not certain about everything but man acting like you're somebody you're not which is what i don't know that's what it, this parable kind of did to me is like how often do i act like honestly that was one of the motivations of me doing this podcast like i was so tired as a pastor of trying to act like i had some script to give you to like oh yeah that situation oh yeah that doctrine yeah yeah yeah. here's this, let me flip to the right page and, and give you the answer like out of the book yeah that doesn't exist yeah but that's the, the pressure to act like that, to act perfect, to act like you've got your crap together is, yeah, it's just ridiculous. So I, oh man, we, need yeah. more, we need more openness. We need more people to realize who they are and, and, and have a knowledge of themselves before you can try to figure out the universe or like faith or anything. Yeah. Like, why, why don't you just start with yourself? Like if you're having trouble praying in the morning, why don't you just be quiet and like mm-hmm. reflect on your own thoughts for a little while? Like, yeah, get rid of some of that static and noise that the world, you know, tends to drown things out with, oh, and just have good. a moment of contemplation. Yeah. So, good, good. stuff, man. Another yeah. one. All right, yeah. let's do another one. Um, I I recently wrote a book of fairy tales, and uh, well, I say recently, I actually wrote it a couple of years ago, but uh, interestingly, a, a cartoonist contacted me a few weeks ago and said. Would you be interested in making the fairy tales into a comic book? And uh, it's been sitting on my computer for years. I haven't done anything with it. So I went, yes. So now we're currently looking at making my, fair, my book of fairy tales into a comic book. So I'm very excited about this. Um, and it was sometimes the best way to explore the deepest truths are through fairy tales, through parables and through fairy tales. And I was thinking about love. I was thinking about love and loss and, uh, you know, how those relate to my life. And so I started to write these stories that all take place in the lonely forest, a place called the lonely forest. So I want to tell you one of my fairy tales. This fairy tale is about a little field mouse who's down on his luck. And basically, he's in a neighboring forest and there's no jobs. The recession has hit. He's lost his burrow. He owes a lot of money to the lions. It's a, it's a bit of a nightmare. He doesn't have a job. And he hears that there's jobs going in the lonely forest. So he, he scurries over. He gets some job interviews and he lands a job. And it's not, it's not a great job or anything. It's just putting... Um, nuts into shells, you know, kind of, you know, chestnuts into chestnut shells. But he's happy enough. It's, it's like he's just on a conveyor belt doing this job. But he's there for a few weeks and he meets this beautiful nut brown squirrel. 
and he falls deeply in love with the squirrel. Now, interspecies relationships is a little bit of a, you know, an issue in the lonely forest, but they don't care. They're progressive and they don't mind. So <laughs> they, they hang around. It's very intense. It's very beautiful. But he's an insecure little field mouse, a deeply insecure little field mouse. So he's always asking her, do you love me? And she always answers in the same way. She always says, of course I love you. I loved you the day I met you. I love you this very day. And I will love you until the day that I die. But the problem was, he wasn't sure if, if she was telling the truth. He wasn't sure if she really meant it. And so one day he's on the conveyor belt, he's a bit down, and the slightest slimy frog walks past, who's the kind of like the foreman. And the slimy frog sees that the, the little field mouse is depressed, and he says, listen, what's going on? Come out for a smoke. Right? So they go out round the back, they have a cigarette together, and the slimy frog is like, come on, what's, what's happening? You, you seem really down. And he says, well, you know I've fallen in love with this squirrel. Well, he says, I'm just a very, I'm a very jealous and insecure a little field mouse. Uh, I don't know if she loves me. And of course, the slimy frog says, well, have you asked her? And he says, yes, I've asked her. What does she say? She says that she loves me. She loved me the day she met me. She loves me this very day. And she will love me until the day that I die. There you go. And he says, but, but does she really think that? So the frog thinks for a moment, and then he says, well, I've got an idea. He says, in the center of the lonely forest, right in the center of the lonely forest, there is a lake. It's called the Lake of Truth. And if you drink from the lake, you can hear the thoughts of the person beside you. Maybe you should take her for a walk one day, go down to the lake, drink from it, and then ask her the question. He thinks this is obviously a great idea. And so he invites her next Saturday to go for a walk. They go down by the lake, you know, right to the center of the forest. And he says, oh, it's such a hot day. I'm so parched. I'm just going to have a little drink. And so he drinks the water. And then he looks up and he says, I'm just going to ask you one more time. One more time. Do you love me? And she looks at him and she says, of course I love you. I loved you the day I met you. I love you this very day. And I will love you until the day that I die. And then he waits. He waits. And then he hears her thoughts. Of course I love you. I loved you the day I met you. I love you this very day, and I'll love you till the day that I die. <gasps> the little field mice is elated, so happy, and they scurry on and have a wonderful day. Well, a few weeks pass, and suddenly the little field mice doesn't go to work. He misses work for about a week. And then when he comes in, he's really depressed. And so the slimy frog sees him, brings him out for a smoke again. They're sitting having a cigarette. And he says, what's wrong? Why are you so down? He says, well, I took the squirrel to the lake of truth, just like you said. Well, what happened? Well, I asked her if she loved me. Yes. She told me that she did. Yes. 
And I heard her thoughts. And her thoughts said that she loved me the day she met me. She loved me this very day. She'll love me till the day that I die. She says, well, why are you unhappy? He says, well, it turns out she was actually having an affair with another mouse with shinier fur and a, and, a, and a more moist nose. He's like, what? But surely it's a lake of truth. He's, yeah. He says, well, was the lake broken? No. Well, was it a cursed lake? No. Was it a lying lake? No. And the field mouse looks at the slimy frog and says, the problem was she didn't love me. She only thought that she did. Mm. The interesting thing about our beliefs, if I hear your thoughts, that doesn't necessarily mean I know what you believe. We don't know what we believe. We can be unsure about our beliefs. In fact, sometimes our beliefs are the very thing that we have that protects us from looking at what we really think. Wow. <laughs> I, I remember when he, uh, when he dropped, the, dropped the mic on that one. Slap in the face. I mean, how, like, how many times do we do this ourselves, but not only ourselves, but see it in other people where we have so convinced ourselves of, mm. of, of something that, you know, we're, we're, like, you see it with, with criminals in prison mm. where they're guilty yeah, but they've told themselves this story for so long right. that to actually start to believe it. Absolutely, and so it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where where so often we suppress something so deeply that you know it, it's we've convinced ourselves that it's the truth. Man, that's what? so that's so funny. I love I love hearing your interpretation because I like went in a completely different way, but now mm. I'm like sitting here going, oh, I think you got it. <laughs> You know what? That's the great thing about it. But it doesn't, that doesn't matter. No, but no. like, but yeah. you know what I'm saying? How it's like, you, that's what I love about parables because, okay, so what I thought yeah. is this, this American Western, you know, post-enlightenment idea that your beliefs are essentially your spiritual connection. Yes. That your beliefs, the what you think sort of propositionally and you've got it all like worked out in your head is sort of who you are spiritually. Yeah. But like neuroscience has shown us, and this, you know, actually Dr. Newberg mentions this in his book, How God Changes Your Brain. Like, I mean, your beliefs are held in like one part of your brain, like yeah. one part of your brain. So like to say that like this one part of your brain is your like spiritual expression of like yourself is super reductionistic. Yeah. It doesn't take into account all the other things going on in the mystery of ourselves that we don't understand. Mm. You know, I cheated on a girl once. I still have no idea why I did that. <laughs> I mean, I've got some clue. You know, she was pretty and you know, I was unhappy. But like there was more to it than that. Yeah. Like to just say it was about this. But that didn't mean that I didn't love the person that I was with. So like I connected on with this on so many levels. And I think that in especially Christianity, which is kind of where you and I are coming from, mm -hmm. I see this incredible fear that most people have just to make sure they get their quote unquote just beliefs correct. Yeah. Just, let's just worry about our beliefs. Everything's got to be like how you think it and how you express it and what words you use and don't change one adjective, don't change one noun. Yeah. 
don't, you know, don't even change your Bible translation in some churches. Yeah. Because your quote unquote beliefs is, is everything. That's all it is. Yeah. Or, or and your it's attendance not. or how many people that yes. you recruit to the cause. Yeah. But like then you look at somebody else's life and I'm not trying to sound judgmental here, but like, you know, as a pastor, one of the things that always frustrated me is you've got this room full of people that are super worried about what they quote unquote believe, mm. but then what they're doing is not something they're super worried about at all. Yeah. Yeah. Like what they're actually doing doesn't keep them up at night, mm-hmm. but they will get in fights in a Bible study yeah. over a word or a translation or, you know, whatever. And it's like, how ass backwards is all of this? Yeah. Pete, Pete talks about that. Remember, he, he, he brought it up a couple different times, and I think he may have even mentioned it um, on the, the first time around that he was on our show. So if you guys haven't heard Pete Rollins' uh, interview with us uh, from a couple months ago, go back yeah, and check that out. I remember but, that. Um, it's the thing where he mentions, you know, you, you say you want to save, like, the dolphins or whatever. Meanwhile, you know, you're wearing a T-shirt that was made by probably child labor, and you, you full well know that. Right. You know, so it's like, I, I look at the things that you do right. to tell me what it is that you truly believe. Because that's more, and even that isn't everything. Right. Like, we can't just go around judging everybody just on what they do, because it's just not a perfect world, and it's not possible to live a perfect life. But mm. at the end of the day, what weighs more, the things you're constantly doing or the things you're constantly saying? Right. Everybody knows it's what you're doing that weighs more, and yet, for some reason, in our weird, you know, climate that we live in in the church right now everybody's super freaked out and focused on what you say and much more casual on what you do which is just bizarre this is why i wrote a parable there's a book of parables i wrote and and one of them is about a, a priest who discovers that he has a gift and this gift is the ability to help people lose their belief. Now, he doesn't ask for it. It's, it's more of a curse. He realizes that any time he prays for someone, they stop believing in gods and angels and heaven and hell and demons and any religious belief just dissipates. Whatever he's praying for, if he's in a room and he prays, everybody in the room loses their beliefs, right? So he tries not to pray, right? He keeps that to himself. And he's sitting on a train one day And he's beside this stressed out, angry businessman who's screaming at somebody on his phone, screaming at one of his employees. And then once he's put the phone down, the person who's serving him drinks, he's really rude to, um, he shouts at them because they get something wrong. And, you know, the priest is, is watching this and the businessman notices him looking over. So the businessman says, Listen, I know this looks terrible, he says. I'm stressed, I'm angry. But he says, I see you're a religious man. I see you've got a Bible there. He says, I'm a religious man as well. He says, you know, I go to church every week. I go to prayer meetings. I'm very involved in my church. I'm an elder in my church. And he says, you know, listen, this, what I'm doing will pass away in a moment. That's not who I am. You know, I'm not this guy making money, trying to screw people over, all of that. And that's, that is like dust. That will be here in a moment and then gone. Who I am, who I am eternally is found in my, in my, in my faith, in my church, in that part of my life. That's what will last. These other things pass in a moment. So the pastor thinks for a moment, 
And then he says, can I pray for you? <laughs> and the businessman's like, yeah, absolutely, go for it. And the priest says a simple prayer. And as the priest is praying, all of the businessman's beliefs begin to dissipate. One by one, they begin to go. His belief in God, his belief in heaven, his belief in angels, all of this just goes. And he slumps back in his chair, silent, shocked, doesn't say anything. And the priest quietly leaves. Well, a few years later, the priest is walking down the street and he's accosted by a man, runs up to him, grabs him and says, you prayed for me three years ago. You prayed for me and I lost all of my beliefs. I lost my belief in God, in angels, in eternity. I lost it all. And he said, the strangest thing happened. He said, I had to look at my life as I was. And I realized that I wasn't happy, that I was angry, that I was being nasty to people, that I was in a job I hated. And that's all I was left with. And I said, I didn't like it at all. And so I tried to be nicer to my employees. Eventually I left that job, started working for a nonprofit. He says, I went to some counseling, kind of worked through some of my anger stuff said, because I didn't have the protection of these beliefs. I just saw myself for what I was. And then he embraced the priest, kissed him on the cheek and said, thank you for helping me discover my faith. Oh man, so the thing that came to my mind was the idea of once all of your beliefs are stripped away, mm. then you're, you're forced to face with what's left. So you're faced with your true, naked, raw, unfiltered self, and you, you kind of lose the security blanket. Mm. You know, you're no longer protected by your beliefs, your constructions, your walls, but you're, you're then forced to work through whatever the issues are underneath it all. Um, and, and sometimes you know, that's, that's necessary because you have all these distractions, essentially, and all of these, all this just, I guess, this mess getting in the way of, sure. of you know, the essence of it. Right. So what, what did you think? What, what kind of popped in your head? Because I know that was such a heavy, uh, I'm, heavy People barrel. aren't going to like this. Well, some people aren't going to like this. But I've, I've read this from so many different sources at this point, And I've realized, I think through Pete's work, that this is probably true. Mm. That statistically speaking, um, atheists are more moral people than Christians. I've seen that, yeah. And I think the reason being is when you don't have something ethereal, something, you know, that's not substance, uh, which are what beliefs are, it's just floating in your gray matter. It, you know, sure, it's part of who you are, but like, it's not concrete. And, but if you've got these beliefs that are floating up in your brain or in your heart or whatever, um, that make you feel like that's your justification of who you are, like, Mm. that I am a good person because, you know, I can, I can get an A on my doctrines of the faith test. When, when you're an atheist and you don't have anything but now, and you look around and you're still compelled by beauty and you're still compelled by justice and you're still compelled by all these things, and I don't want to get into like an apologetics argument, well, what's your foundation for all that? No, no, no. At the end of the day, if you don't have beliefs that make you bet on some, you know, 
some sweet by and by somewhere like off in the clouds someday and all you've got is this moment, you can't hide behind anything to make you feel better about who you are other than you're just straight up actions. Just what you do is who you are. And there is something so Christian, in my opinion, that's just the tradition I come from, about that. Mm. And it, that was the first thing that I'm just like, man, like, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I, and I think that that speaks to kind of what we're up to on this show, which is that a lot of the problems that we see and that a lot of people see, quite honestly, with not only within Christianity, but within um, a lot of religions out there mm. is this thing that's just ends up being um, an adventure of missing the point, you know? Right, right. And it's like, we've gotten so far off the beaten path in certain instances that we've kind of, we're kind of missing the main focus of, of Jesus's, uh, you know, mission in this world, mm. you know, and, and along with that, the, the writers of scripture, you know, yeah. the, the point that they were trying to get at, and we get so wrapped up in the minutia that we, we miss the whole focus of, of the mission altogether. Yeah, absolutely, man. And it's like everybody's sitting here arguing about the best language to use to frame up these super mysterious realities. And all the while, there are still poor that need attention. There are still widows that need attention. There are still orphans that need attention. There are still outsiders that need to be welcomed. There are still people in your community that you need to pour yourself out for. And all of that stuff exists in the like concrete world, mm. in, in the here and now. And I mean, I think it'd be the most healthy thing if they were anchored back into some belief structure that you had. Yeah. But m m more often than not, I'm not trying to sound discouraged. I'm actually super hopeful about the state of the world and where, where things are going. But I, I do see a lot of people that stress out way, way more about the language they use to describe the mysteries of the divine than the fact that they've driven past that homeless person and ignored them or judged them mm -hmm. on the way home from work every single day. Yep. Anyway, that's all I got. A friend of mine wrote a parable, Phil Harrison. Uh, this was his way out of religion for him. He said, this, this was my realization that I had to leave. But in some respects, I think it was actually his... his uh, deep insight into the heart of religion. He said he was driving one day and he had this kind of like daydream. And in the daydream, he imagined that he went to heaven and he was standing in front of these great oak doors. And as he was standing there, they creaked open and St. Peter came out, this unshaven, strong-looking, solemn figure. And he looked at Phil and he welcomed him. And he said, come in. And Phil was just about to step over the threshold to enter heaven. And then he looked behind him and he saw some of his friends. And he saw friends who were atheists, Buddhist, Hindu, God knows what. And they couldn't speak. And they were just watching. And he says to St. Peter, what about them? And St. Peter says, well, you know the rules. I'm sorry. They can't get in. And Phil says, just at that moment, I thought about Jesus. The outsider, the heretic, the drunkard, the bastard child, the, the, the friend of outsiders. 
And he took his foot back out of heaven and he said to St. Peter, I'm sorry. He says, I'm going to stay with these guys. And in this daydream, Phil said, it was like I saw St. Peter break a smile. It was as if he was looking at me and saying, at last, at last. Within the conservative world, some people get in. In the liberal world, everybody gets in. Radical theology says everybody should get out. (laughs) (laughs) That the sacred, the divine, the absolute is found in the outsiders. That's where we should be on the outside. The trash of the world. If you guys could see this on video right now, what you would see is John and I just staring at each other with our mouths open because we just don't even know what to say about this one. Yeah. So how about instead of we even say anything right now, how about we just encourage everyone to just pause and just think about that because I don't care what you say you believe. There's something really beautifully disruptive about the structure of that parable. And I think maybe we should all just think about it. Yeah. Sound good? All right. So take a minute, pause. We're just going to move on to the next parable. Uh, there's a, one of my favorite stories is, is another Buddhist story. And it's simply about this woman who gives birth to a little baby girl and the baby girl dies after only a few weeks of life and the mother is distraught utterly distraught and she goes to anyone who could help she goes to faith healers to witch doctors uh, to the tribal leaders nobody can help to resuscitate her child but eventually one of the tribal leaders says high up in the mountains Away from everyone, there is supposed to be a holy man who is so close to the divine, he can even raise the dead. Go in search of him. Maybe it's a myth. Maybe he's long since gone, but none of us can help. And so she does go on that journey. She goes up into the mountains. She finds a little hut. It's the only dwelling she's seen. She knocks on the door, and this old man opens it. And she looks at the old man, and she says, I don't know if you're the one they talk about. I don't know if you're the one who can help me. But I've lost my child, and I must have her back. And the old man takes pity on her. He says, I am the one that they talk about, and I can help But in order to help, I have to concoct a potion. And the potion requires ingredients. And one of those ingredients is a handful of mustard seeds taken from a home that has not been touched by that black sun of suffering that has touched your life. Go find the mustard seeds and bring them back to me and I'll make the potion. And so the woman goes back down into the village and she goes from home to home. But she cannot find one place 
that has not been touched by darkness and by death and by suffering. And yet, as she hears the stories of other people's suffering, she is very gradually able to speak her own. And as she speaks her own suffering, she is very gradually able to mourn. And as she is able to mourn, she gets to the point where she is able to bury her child in the earth. Of course, she wants something that will bring her child back. She wants some easy answer. But this old man gives her an alternative. He doesn't say he can't help. He doesn't offer false promises either. He simply tries to create a space where she can speak her suffering, where she can experience grace, where she can hear other people's stories of suffering and of darkness. And in that, she is able to find some form of healing. I think, I think there wasn't, there weren't rather too many dry eyes in the crowd when we when we heard this parable. No. And the first thing that it made me think of personally was the fact that as a society currently, we're always looking for some sort of easy answer to everything. Right? We want mm. we want the diet pill that will you know make us skinny and give us that six pack. You know, um, because it's covering up some sense of self-worth you know mm. that we that we're lacking mm. or you know we we want that reality tv show marathon so we could watch it and just zone out and not think about the fact that maybe one of our children is dying from cancer mm. or you know we want to you know go out to the bar and just drink you know to forget you know the abuse that we suffered at the hands of a relative or something right. along those lines and yeah. it's just you know we want that easy fix that, that thing that's going to going to fix it and, and make it all go away. But mm. in reality, um, I think the, the, the thing that I got from this is that we're a community, we're a communal people and mm. we're meant to walk through the, the suffering and the, and the tragedy of life together mm. as a community and not go through it alone and, and hide it and suppress it. And so that's, that's what I thought of. I immediately thought of the instances that we've seen, unfortunately, specific to our country and, and in uh, France and, and some of the other places that have been struck with tragedy over this year, mm. where you see this natural response occur in society where tragedy takes place and the good that comes of it seems to be this instant um, connection in the community. I know what you mean. To, to lean on one another and to, and to comfort one another. And um, yeah, that's, just, that's the first thing that popped into my head. Dude, that's deep. I, I think I felt again just how often I feel the need to just fix people to mm. just send them home with the solution, and myself included. Like you know, one of the things that my wife and I are constantly, you know, like every husband, right? You know, if there's a problem, it's just like I don't want you to fix the problem. I just want you to listen to me. <laughs> and it's like so archetypal that it's funny. Like every sitcom has multiple episodes of something like that happening. But at the end of the day, like that that actually is true. Like solutions just keep us moving forward where connection takes us deeper. You know, solutions are just escapism most of the time. 
you know, this idea that, you know, life can be fixed is crap. Mm. It can't be fixed. That's not, that's not what it's about. But there's something about suffering that drives us deeper. There's something about suffering that if we actually face it, just drives us deeper. You know, this reminded me of, I'm, I'm a wine geek. I love wine. And I was watching this French documentary on Netflix called A Year in Burgundy. I recommend everyone watching it. And there's this one scene where they're interviewing this old winemaker. This guy had to be like 85, 90 years old. And he's retired and he's got these gnarly hands from just working the vines like his whole life. And uh, they were talking about like why he consistently produced these, you know, great crops of Burgundy, which is Pinot Noir, like for so long. And with these, you know, get this close up on his face and he's back in this cave where they fermented the wine and he's got like overalls on and a flannel shirt. He's just like, those guys are just like farmers. And he just like with like pain on his face and like his gnarly hands held up to make a point. He's just like, the vines have to suffer. He's like, you, you got to hack your vines back. You can't coddle them. You got to prune them and prune them and prune them because then the roots grow deep and they find the best minerals and they find the best nutrients. And then when you let your vines grow and then you hack them back and you let them grow and you hack them back, you are going to produce the best fruit imaginable. And I'm sitting here like, watching a wine documentary and I'm crying <laughs> and my wife's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't know. Cause something just like a parable. It could, I like, there's such deep truth in that. Like I don't, I can't even explain it. So that's how I, I kind of felt like that again when I heard this. Mm, that's good, man. Good juice. Good juice. <laughs> oh man. This is so much fun to get to do this. Um, Thanks to friends that we're making along the way, you know, a bunch of the friends that we made at this event, um, just Pete extend, extending friendship to us. And I really just hope that um, people listening to this will know that we're not really taking stances, but, you know, the one thing that we're doing is like, you got to be a part of community. Yeah. And you got to take the journey for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, just continue to connect with one another too it's it's such a cool thing for us to see you guys reaching out to one another in in your respective geographical areas and and wanting desiring to continue uh that conversation and um just so you guys know we're still searching for like an app or something that might help you guys uh connect more easily um if you guys have any suggestions on apps that might might serve that purpose that would be great we'd we'd love to give a shout out i know that right now um Science Mike is got something in the works to kind of mm. tr- start to help with that. I don't think it has a lot of cities on there yet, but they're starting. Mm. And so um, we've become pretty good friends with him as well. In fact, um, he's going to be in Columbus here. Um, gosh, when is it? October 14th. Yes. October 14th. We will be th- at that event and then be having an after party with drinks with us and him and whoever else wants to come afterwards. But uh, I know on his website, there is an opportunity to find other people to connect with. And then going to some of these events. And we're going to try to have like maybe a night out with the deconstructionists down the road just, you know, to provide a space to just like, you know, like-minded people can just meet and hang out and exchange stories and have a pint. And yeah, uh, it'd be really fun too. So we just want to thank you guys for, uh, for listening in. We hope you guys really enjoyed that kind of special treat that we had for you. Uh, we have more stuff coming in the future. Mm. We've got a couple series coming up. Uh, we're not going to give everything away. But we have one series that we're super stoked about that's coming out in October. Oh, yeah. We have some uh, holiday-themed ones. So we have one coming up uh, in October. That is going to be so much fun. 
We're going to talk about a little hell, a little uh, devil. What the hell? <laughs> Welcome to hell with Adam and John. <laughs> um, so we'll get into some history stuff there, and uh, we've got some really cool, exciting guests coming up. Um, some interviews we're doing pretty soon here. And then uh, we got some really cool treats, some special one-offs uh, coming up in December, uh, right in time for the holidays. Um, so thanks again for listening to this. Uh, we hope to do more of these in the future. Absolutely. Um, and we'll just drop these little nuggets on you here and there. But uh, just whatever we find along the way. So yeah, yeah. big, big thanks to Peter Rollins. Mm. Big, big thanks to him for this, for allowing us the exclusive opportunity to have this. And thanks to all you guys. And if there's anybody that you want us yeah. to have on the show continue to send us suggestions yes we're booking um into spring of next year right now yeah um uh, we have got so many good surprises for you guys and so many fun little ideas that we're going to do next year to just continue this whole open sort of fun should be fun you know but deep and you know interesting and just keeping the conversation going to hopefully just keep your minds open and um help you just explore this big wide world without fear and likewise, if, if you guys have any uh, bands or artists that, that yeah. you'd like to hear on the show, uh, feel free to tweet that out or uh, you know leave us messages on Facebook, whatever. And we'll uh, try to investigate those as well. Absolutely. So with that, thanks yeah. a lot, everybody. And we are your hosts. I am Adam Narlock. And I'm John Williamson. Keep deconstructing, everyone. Ring them bells, ye heathen, from the city that dreams. Ring them bells from the sanctuaries across the valleys and streams For they're deep and they're wide And the world's on its side And time is running backwards and so is the bride
St. Catherine from the top of the room Bring them from the fortress for the lilies that bloom All the lines are long and the fighting is strong And they're breaking down the distance between right and And with that, we shall finish. Thank you for coming along tonight. Have a drink, hang out. Thank you, thank you, thank you.